Greetings, God's beloved. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Thanks for tuning in to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast from Living Hope Lutheran Church in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. It's Easter Sunday. Our gospel reading is John chapter 20, 1 through 18, and our preacher is Pastor Matt Metabellis. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, very first sermon in the history of the Christian church, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. He has risen. He has risen indeed. You're not sitting till it's louder. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Okay, there you go. Now you may be seated. Happy Easter to all of you who have gathered here. Um, I don't know how many of you got up out of tombs this morning, uh, but happy Easter to all of you who have come to gather here and listen to this fabulous promise. So last summer, I had a particularly difficult day, and no, this was not me filling my gas tank this morning. Uh, That's always difficult too nowadays. I had a particularly difficult day last summer. Leadership Lab was going on. It was going on online. We had some uh, guests from out of town. Shout out to Nick and Mandy Rex if you're watching. Uh, We had guests from out of town. So this was kind of my day. 
Uh, we were going to go hang out at Boulder City and JP's Happy Place uh, and ride trains a little bit with our guests. Then uh, I was going to go home, try to get something to eat, and then get ready to do a funeral here that was one of the most difficult uh, that I have ever done. And then uh, go from there to uh, Good Samaritan Lutheran Church, where the Las Vegas Leadership Lab uh, cohort had gathered. It uh, it was a very fun day, a very stressful day, and a very difficult day. And uh, as I went into the day, I knew there were a couple things that needed to happen. Um, I went to church and I went, Pastor Jason, please show me how to do all the audiovisual stuff because, uh, by the way. Uh, those of you who have been watching online, uh, we would not have survived the pandemic without Pastor Jason. So could you all give him a hand? Still still running around today. Uh, Ivy and I are trying to flag him down. <laughs> so I came, uh, you remember this? I came with a notebook to make sure I knew how to do everything. Okay, turn computer on. Uh, so uh, I knew I needed gas. I knew I needed to make sure all the uh, audiovisual stuff worked. And then I had Leadership Lab, and so I was uh, running devotionals over Zoom, which is always a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, I, I kind of I got through my day. Traffic was crazy getting down here. Um, I got through my day. I did the funeral. I had uh, one of the youth in my car, and I went, oh, my gosh. I knew I needed to get gas. I need to get gas before we go all the way to Good Sam. So I pull into the gas station right here up on Charleston and I, I put the, um, and I'm still kind of reeling from this funeral, and I put the, uh, the, the nozzle in my, in my gas tank and I turn it on and it's only pumping out like $2.75. I'm like, why isn't my gas tank taking gas? Now, Many of you may not know my car. We bought it for three grand in the height of the pandemic. And uh, with car prices, I hang on to it in my dear life. It's a 2009 Hyundai Sonata. Uh, I love this thing. Uh, however, uh, it is on uh, what we call in the healthcare industry on palliative care, uh, not quite hospice yet. It has a bad rocker arm, so if I go above 65 miles an hour, it starts clicking uh, like you put baseball cards in the spikes of your bicycle. It starts sounding like that. Uh, I'm afraid to put too much air because I want to make sure the engine has enough air, and every time I go for an oil change, I have like a bunch of things I bought at uh, O'Reilly's like, hey, could you guys put this in the tank? Trust me, it really helps. So. I'm used to my car having problems. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, no, I've got some kind of float, some kind of obstruction in the gas tank. I'm sitting there like, well, I maybe need to find a mechanic. Can I get to good Sam? And then I went, well, let me tell Marissa I'm going to be running a little bit late. And I said, hi, hon, uh, I'm having a little bit of problems with the car. Um, it, the gas isn't uh, going into the gas tank. And she said, oh. Uh, well, when I filled up this morning, everything was great. <laughs> I was sitting there panicking because I couldn't fill up a full gas tank. And that is when you know you are stressed, <laughs> when you can't do an everyday thing like read, I don't know, the gas gauge on your vehicle. But I want to tell you, I felt immediately better because this study came out from University College London, which talked about the effect of stress on our ability to evaluate situations. And so uh, what the finding found, and this is from the beginning of the study, our research suggests that under stress, 
People weigh each piece of evidence that supports undesirable conclusions more than when they are relaxed. In contrast, how they weigh evidence that supports desirable conclusions is not affected by stress, right? So bad evidence gets more weight. Good or neutral evidence gets no weight, right? There's probably an evolutionary reason for that. That's what stress is, you know. It's us trying to survive. Um, and uh, so this was the conclusion. As a result, people are more likely to conclude the worst is true when they are stressed. Now, I'm sure this was a research study that got funded by the government in the UK and millions of dollars went into it. How many of you have experienced this in your life? Right? They spent all this money to tell you something that you already knew was true, right? When you're having a bad day, when you're stressed, right, doesn't your brain go a mile a minute thinking about worse things that can happen? Absolutely. So um, I'm sure that you know this study was uh, very scientific, uh, very important, but it tells us something that we're already aware of. And it's something that can help us unpack this little mystery that the Gospel of John tells us this morning. Wow, that's sensitive. Very sensitive. So we're told that Mary, who was like uh, those of us who worked the uh, 7 a.m. service today, uh, Mary got up on the first day of the week while it was still dark. And we're told that she was there, and we get this amazing comedy of errors. It reads like a Monty Python sketch, and I would love for them to make an HBO version. I'm not talking about Last Temptation of Christ, but like a new HBO version of the resurrection where Peter and John and Mary are just swearing at each other, trying to figure out what happened. Like, where's the body? Where did Jesus go? Why is Jesus still messing with us? Like, fishing was fine. Why am I doing this, right? You can just read (laughs) the stress that everybody is going through. I don't think anybody is more stressed right now than Mary because Mary, it's told she is lugging spices, and by the way, they didn't have like, you know, roller suitcases or uh, convenient plastic jugs back then, right? You ever been to an art museum? You see the kind of jugs they would carry spices in? So she has hauled a giant jug of spices out to the middle of a graveyard to anoint Jesus' body, to to perfume it, to take care of it, to treat it. Jewish people still do these rituals today. It's called tahira. Um, I I got to uh, learn about the the practice and the um, theology of this when I was at the National Institute for Jewish Hospice in New Jersey. Um, She was going to, on the third day, continue to sit and keep watch with Jesus and to wrap his body and to just pay Jesus some honor. And we might think that she's doing this out of piety, but I am a hospice uh, chaplain um, during the day. This is my night and weekend gig. I've called so many people right after they've lost loved ones especially people I know really well, and I think, man, they're going to be a wreck when I call them. And this is usually the conversation I have. Uh, 
I just came back from the mortuary. We're going to have the service. We're going to do this, right? Those of you who've been through a loss, those first couple days, the things that you have to do, they kind of are a lifeline. They kind of are what you're hanging on to so that you don't collapse and fall apart. So Jesus' body being there for Mary was her lifeline. It's what kept her sane. It's what kept her going. And so when this thing happens and they can't find Jesus' body, she finally gives in to the stress that she's experiencing and she just starts weeping. She starts just letting go of all of the pain that she experienced. Right, by the way, we sang, were you there on Friday? She was there. She saw it all the way through. She didn't run away like the men did. She was right there at Jesus' side. So could you imagine the trauma of watching somebody get executed? Somebody you loved like a brother that treated you like a person who gave you dignity? Could you imagine watching that person who was the only person to see you and to love you? Could you imagine watching that person be called a common criminal and executed right in front of you? She fell apart. And so uh, theologians, again, mostly men, when they read this story, they go, huh, why didn't Mary recognize Jesus right away? Uh, did something change in his appearance? Did he already begin to assume the body of glory? Was he already kind of semi-angelic, right? There's all sorts of big words that they use. But if you've ever worked around people with grief or been through grief yourself, you know, she couldn't tell it was him because she was a wreck. She probably wouldn't be able to tell if it was her own mother or anybody close to her. She was just a wreck. She came apart at that moment. And that's when Jesus kept a very particular promise that he made. In front of the scribes and the Pharisees and all the other men that were in charge of the religion at the time, he said, you know what? You guys are a bunch of hired hands. I'm the good shepherd. And I tell you what, I am such a good shepherd that I call my sheep by their name. And as Mary is breaking down, that's what Jesus does. He doesn't give her any advice. He just says, Mary. And that's the second that it dawns on her that she was there for a body, but her friend had come to greet her. She came to pay honor, but her Savior had come to find her. Her Savior had come back to call her name and to take her in his arms. And that's what Easter is about. I'm so glad we've got these great musicians here. Thank you so much. And we do all this pomp and circumstance and we put on our very best threads. But Easter is not about those moments where we are feeling and looking our best. Easter is about those moments when we've given up, when the stress just takes over, when we say, I can't do it anymore. And when we're 
done and through, or uh, how do the millennials put it, can't even. (laughs) Right? It's at those moments that Easter comes. It's those moments that Jesus comes back and finds us, and it is at those moments where Jesus calls our name. Jesus came back from the dead to call our name one more time. And that's when faith happens. Faith doesn't happen when you uh, figure out the Trinity or when you finally square the circle of how a good God could live in a world of such suffering. Faith happens not in your brain. It happens in your ears. It happens in that moment where you hear Jesus calling your name and you go, oh my God, you're here. And you become like Mary and you just collapse in his arms. And I cannot imagine, uh, I guess psychologists would call it a catharsis, of just everything that she went through everything she went through just dropping from her as much as those heavy jars that she was carrying. And she was being held in Jesus' arms. That's Easter, brothers and sisters. That's why we're here. We're, We're celebrating where this is going. But Easter comes so that we can be here in that moment being held by Jesus. But when you're being held by Jesus like this, I want you to know something. Jesus isn't done. Remember that phone call I had with Marissa? What did she tell me? I filled the tank this morning. (laughs) This is what Jesus tells to Mary. First thing he says is, do not hold on to me. Mary, I didn't come back just for you to have a personal relationship with me and tell me how great it is and turn on songs about me on the radio station. He said, Mary... Don't hold on to me because I've got places to go. I've got people to see. This golf cart is headed for Aspen. We are going. Did you get it? We. <laughs> All right. Yeah, just for you. We are headed out. We are going places. I've not yet ascended to the Father. I've got stuff to do. So I want you to go to my brothers and say to them, come on, we're going for a road trip. I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And watch what happens here, right? Jesus says, I'm going to my God, but who else's God is it? Your God. There is gas in the tank. Do you see what God did for me? God is going to do that for you too. And God is going to do that for so many people that we are about to go meet. So if you came to uh, uh, Easter uh, to go to church and to get your fill, I'm here to tell you there is gas in your tank. What happens here does not stay here. It is the opposite of Las Vegas. It goes out into the world. I read last week one of the bishops in the Lutheran church in Ukraine 
said, our churches are still operating. We may not be having weekly worship, but our churches are places of shelter for people. And they're places of shelter for soldiers who are in between battles. And they come and we pray for them and we feed them and we shelter them and we bless them. And we tell them, look, my God and your God, there is gas in the tank. We're fighting a battle right now, but the war is one. This is your God too. The God who raised me is going to raise you and everybody that you lost. Jesus rose also so that all those people that you lost and you missed and you would give an arm or a major organ just to have one more conversation with them. Right? Jesus came back so that those people may be raised too. That is their God too. That is the message, brothers and sisters. There is gas in the tank. I want you to burn this image into your memory. I want you to take Miami Vice Jesus with you in your brain because you are going places with him this year, right? All the awful places that you have to go to, all the... All the funerals and the performance reviews and the Zoom meetings and the people who are even here in this neighborhood sleeping on these sidewalks right now, Jesus is going there. All the challenges that you face, all the struggles that you face, all the challenges that our neighbors face. We've got some meetings for Nevadans for the Common Good to talk about getting some of the housing prices under control. You better believe that convertible is going to be in the parking lot over at Green Valley Methodist and St. Anne's. Because Jesus is going places. Paul talked about it. There's work to do. And that's what Easter means. That Jesus calls your name and that there's gas in the tank. So whenever you're stressed, whenever you're struggling and you're weighing all the evidence, you are empowered today, brothers and sisters. You don't need to believe the worst because you can trust the best. Amen. Amen.